I'm Dave Rubin and joining me today is the host of the Dennis Prager radio show, the founder of PragerU, or I should say the co-founder of PragerU, and my rabbi, even though he's not really a rabbi, Dennis Prager, welcome back to the Rubin Report, old friend. There is only one slight cloud over our being together again, and that is we are no longer living in the same city, the same time zone, or the same coast. I just want everybody watching to know I miss Dave and I miss David. Well, we, Dave and David, miss you and Sue. We miss you a lot. We're going to see you in a couple weeks. But actually, right. actually, that is the perfect place to start this conversation. Because two days before I officially left Los Angeles, and when I left, you know it was a quick thing, and I was just out of there, uh, I hosted a dinner at my house with a couple couples just to say goodbye. Some of the people who were the formative people of my years in, in Los Angeles, and you, you and Sue were there, obviously. And we talked about whether it is right or just or worthwhile to stay and fight and when you should know it's time to go. I obviously felt it was time to go. Um, you have a little, you know, you have other obligations and things, but why don't we just start the conversation there? Because yeah, you're, you're there, I'm here, and yet we see the world in such a similar way. Um, and we're living in different coasts in very different planets right now. I am not staying, this might help give your uh, viewers uh, more faith in, in, in how committed I am to honesty. I am not staying for the noble reason of fighting. I fight every day. I would fight if I were in Florida, but I wouldn't be fighting Florida. I would be fighting wokeism, leftism, uh, wherever it is. I'm not staying because I think California is salvageable. At, at this time, I do not think it is salvageable. People who vote for district attorneys who will increase death uh, are not salvageable. So uh, I'm here because there are too many people I adore. You two were among them and you left and I totally understand why you did. But I founded a synagogue here, which means a great deal to me. Every single week I have this time with people I truly love. I speak at the synagogue. I'm sort of, the, again, the unofficial rabbi. And of course, other people. I've been here for 40 years. It's a long time. You make a lot of friends. But I'm not here because of the fight issue. If you want to fight, you can fight anywhere in this country from Montana to California to Florida, and I wish everybody did fight. But specifically with regard to California, I'm here because of people. By the way, if a lot of the conservatives of California move to other states, that's great for the battle against the left because it, it increases uh, the non-left vote in those states. The worry is when Californians who are on the left flee California yep. or flee New York and then bring the policies that they fled to the new states. That's sick. 
Well, I, I can tell you from being here just for a couple of weeks, I've mentioned this on the show almost every day, the people that I'm meeting here who are the new refugees here, they know what they fled and why they fled. So I'm very That's hopeful. That's right. I'm very, very hopeful on that front. But, but all right, what do you think? Let's, let's go with that for a little bit. What do you think really is the future of America if this mass migration happens? If basically there'll be sort of minorities like you in California that, that will be fighting the good fight but won't have political power. And then we'll have places in red states that may be more aligned with us. What, what is the united bond of the United States of America if this continues in this direction? Which to me, it has to actually at this point. For, for all intents and purposes, there are two Americas. I think Americans are more divided now than they were during the Civil War. During the Civil War, they were divided on this spectacularly important issue of slavery, but otherwise they were not divided. And now that's a big deal, obviously, but still, right now, the division is on every issue. We agree essentially on nothing important. And uh, look, the, there's a fantasy in me that all the big cities of the country secede. It's not geographically possible because you couldn't have a, a, such a non-contiguous country. But if New York and Los Angeles and Chicago and San Francisco and Seattle and Philadelphia, if they all made their own country and left the rest of us, even with all the finance that they would take, all the money, all the banks, it would be paradisical for the rest of us, but uh, it, it's, it can't happen because of the geographical issue. So what has to happen is I think what you just painted, the, the scenario you painted was of, of people coalescing in the states they agree with. And then what makes us united? I mean, does that work? I mean, this we're is- not course, united. We're not yeah. united, we're not. I mean, look, I, I hate saying it, I love this country. We're not united. Tell me an issue that left and right agree on. Uh, I think the rest of this podcast could be spent waiting for you to give me an answer. Yeah, well, there used to have been a healthy tension, let's say, between liberal and conservative or Republican and Democrat, something like that. Now it just doesn't exist. It's just basically bad. Well, it doesn't exist because, because we're not fighting liberals, we're fighting leftists. If we were fighting liberals, there would be a United States of America. I mean, the, If you the were list, fighting liberals, list, I'd be on the other side of you. <laughs> Fine, I'd be on the other side of me. <laughs> I, you know, I grew up a liberal Democrat because after all, I'm a Jew from New York who went to Columbia, okay? I got all the credentials of, I voted for Jimmy Carter, which yeah. I, for which I'm still atoning. So I, I just want to, I always ask people who knew me, tell me one position I have now that I didn't have when I was a liberal Democrat. And, and there's silence. I haven't changed, they've changed. Would there maybe be one like, so when you were a liberal Democrat, you were still pro-life? I and mean, now we're talking 40 years Oh, that's years a ago. good point. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have evolved on abortion, by the way, not for religious reasons. Yeah, But for science reasons, solely. You can't deny it's a human being at a very early age. I mean, it's just, you, you, People who say follow the science are, are generally lying. 
If they followed the science, they would know that a human is being killed, certainly from the the, the heartbeat or, or brain uh, waves when they begin. Okay? Uh, they, we could argue about zygotes. There's an honorable argument mm-hmm. on both sides, but but not but not in the the end of the first trimester. So before we go too far, we've we've done the abortion debate, we've done the death penalty debate. People have seen us talk about all those things, but I want to back up to uh, where I started that you already mentioned because you, I do sort of consider you my rabbi, but you are not technically a rabbi, but you do host these weekly services, and I've gone now for years to the high holiday services that you host, and I think it's for me really reignited something about belief and faith and tradition that maybe got lost a little bit over the last decade or so. Uh, and I found the services to be very moving. You go out of your way not to talk about politics, even though the room of 500 people on you know, Yom Kippur services are probably going, oh man, I wish, well, I know for a fact this past year because it was about five days before the California recall uh, and everybody wanted you to say something, but you make a point of not doing that, but you relate the stories of the Bible, obviously, to today. Um, could you have been a, a rabbi in another life? Do you consider yourself? I mean, you went to rabbinical school, right? Well, I went to yeshiva, went to yeshiva. which is the, the beginning of, of training to be a rabbi. I, I, and I continued a, even after that. Look, I, I, I know as much as most rabbis. I, I know more than some rabbis. I, I, my biblical Hebrew is superb because I love grammar. And grammar is the most important part of understanding these texts, even more important than vocabulary. You don't, if there's a word that comes up, you don't know, you look it up, it's no big deal. But grammar is critical. So, yes, I thought about being a rabbi and I realized two problems. One, I love being mister. Uh, I, uh, I think people uh, in, in many ways better relate to you as just one of them. It's a very distinguished title, Rabbi, but I, I wanted to just be a mister. The other is if you be, if you are ordained a rabbi, you're ordained by one of the denominations, but I'm not denominational. So it, it would have pegged me in a way that I didn't want to be pegged. So I, I, have, I have loved being a mister, but I function in some ways clearly uh, as a rabbi, and I, I'm honored to do that. So to that point, one of the things that we've discussed a bunch privately, and I think, well, you've certainly discussed it a bunch publicly, um, is sort of what's gone on with the secular American Jews. That something very strange has happened here. You've, you've actually written books that at least have danced with this, um, that basically so many of the purely secular Jews traded in all of the tradition, all of the knowledge, et cetera, all of the history, for pure secularism or basically I eat bagels and I watch Seinfeld, something like that. And for me to even bring this topic up is a little bizarre because I have a big identification with that and I pretty much watch Seinfeld every night and there are parts of Judaism that are so connected to sense of humor that I think has kind of kept us around for 5,000 years, which Seinfeld did a joke about that too. but can you talk about that a little bit? Because I get this a lot from evangelicals now because I have so many evangelicals that like me and they'll be like, Dave, what, what's going on with the Jews? Meaning that they're voting for the party that's a get, that pretty much hates them, that hates Israel, against their economic interests, et cetera. So uh, th- this obviously is a topic 
uh, I know a lot about and thought a lot about. So I have to be briefer. If you want me to expound, I will. But obviously, I could spend the rest of the podcast yeah. just on this subject. Yeah. Here it is in a nutshell. I have often said Jews are the most religious people in the world. The problem is that for most Jews, that religion is not Judaism. The religion is sub secular substitutes for Judaism. Feminism, environmentalism are, are, two, are two examples. Socialism, Marxism. Jews, are, Jews trade in God-centered, Bible-centered religion for no God, no Bible-centered religions. That's why Jews are the founders or, the, the, or among the leaders of virtually every one of these movements. Betty Friedan was, was a Jew and a Marxist is a per perfect example. She, she and uh, ironically, you know, I debated her. You wouldn't know this. I actually debated her in my twenties. Wow. There's a video of it which I can't find, but it actually exists. At one point, she walked off the stage, and I couldn't care less. <laughs> I just kept talking, and then she came <laughs> back. She called me a male chauvinist piglet, and I didn't understand why I I didn't reach the category of pig. <laughs> I, I still it is troubled me all these years but you know god works in his in his infinite wisdom one of her children is an orthodox jew <laughs> ah there you go <laughs> there you go so i just want to explain when jews leave judaism they don't leave religion they leave the jewish religion or they leave traditional judaism and then they they adopt or found other movements that are, in their eyes, the new religion, from Marx to Betty Friedan uh, to whomever you wish to choose. And it, it's a tragedy for the Jews. It's a tragedy for the world. What does that tell you about just human nature in terms of belief? Because I've definitely come around to this, that, that my atheist friends, some of whom are your friends too, uh, that they end up believing in something one way or another. I think that's, in essence, what you're saying. You can trade all that stuff in, for another right. set of views, but you're going to end up believing in that, and usually it's kind of worse. The uh, the brilliant line on that is is uh, attributed to G.K. Chesterton, but I don't know if there's proof he actually said it. But the guy was so witty, he might have said it. And here it is: When people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing; they believe in anything. And here's your proof. They believe men give birth. <laughs> okay? That's the proof of Chesterton's line. They don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. If you're a college graduate today, you not only believe men give birth, you believe that to deny men give birth is to deny science. You, by the way, said in essence that on Bill Maher, you know, what, basically about a year ago, and the media two went years crazy. Ago. Two, year, two, two years ago, two and a half ago. years ago. Was it that right long before already? COVID. What, a, what a time warp. So. I, I, it, you could, you're, you, you've seen it, but your uh, viewers can watch this. It's somewhere on YouTube, Dennis Prager, Bill Maher. Yeah, we'll lay it I'm in. Sure we'll, we'll, we'll lay the clip in right here so people get to see it. The left wing says, I'll give you gigantic lies, that the United States is a racist country. This, this is a lie. Wow. This is a gargantuan lie. This is the least Wait. racist, multicultural, multi-ethnic country in the history of the world. 
that these people believe it is proof to me but, about how effective lying but, but you, can be. You would, uh, this, this is an unbelievably okay, non-racist country. Have you people been to Asia? Do you people okay. know that so the Japanese yes. did not allow one Vietnamese boat person into Japan okay. because they're not Japanese? But we're not, we allowed them into America. What, what, what is that? We're better than Japanese. No, we're better than everyone. Dumb argument we are less that. racist we're, than any country with many races. Okay. The, the it is a, it is a lie. lies. But we could still lies have some racism have ever been documented. Left. Of course there's racism. I'm a oh, Jew. Okay. There are anti-Semites in America. It is a giant lie that America is anti-Semitic. I taught Jewish history right. at Brooklyn College. Okay. I know it. I wrote okay. two books on Judaism. Yes. This is the least anti-Semitic country Jews have ever lived in. To say America okay. is anti-Semitic is right. a lie. To say it is racist is a lie. Okay. These we're, are we're, giant left-wing lies. We're talking about degrees. To say that men can menstruate is a lie. And that is now, that is what is said. <laughs> yes. wait, 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 where did that I, I never, you never heard it. Right. Okay. Check it out, folks. Check it out. <laughs> Anyone who says wrong. a man wait, wait, cannot wait, wait, menstruate wait. is considered transphobic. I, I, I missed this whole story. You, you did? I did. I agree. He said, oh, Trump lies, Trump lies, Trump lies. Said, doesn't compare to left lies. What are you talking about, Dennis? Well, America systemically racist is a gigantic lie, and so is men menstruate. And he just <laughs> laughed, and the audience was laughing all at me. Where the hell did I come up with that goofy line, men menstruate? That was just two and a half years ago. Alas. And now he's making fun of the emoji from Apple of the, of the, uh, of the uh, what is it, the pregnant man? The pregnant man, yeah. So, what, yeah. Uh, so actually help me as my, as my uh, proxy rabbi. One of the things I've been talking about on the show a lot for the last two months, maybe more than anything else, is my last remaining liberal friends. So the Bill Maher types who get it on free speech and they get it on wokeism and they get it on critical race theory and all the stuff, but they seem unable to get to the end of the road, which is that perhaps liberalism in its modern sense or the Democratic Party in its modern sense or some version of those things is what led to all of this and they might have to vote for you scary religious Republicans. What do I do with these people? I want to be right. open, so but I also I, want to get them I, to the end of okay. the road. Okay, you are so right. So here is my story, and this will answer your question. Thank I you think. for right. solving this one for me. Yep, yep, no, but it's not gonna, you're not gonna be happy. Here, oh. here it is. So I grew up an Orthodox Jew, and I'm still I'm still quite observant, but not fully Orthodox. And I, of course, kept kosher uh, in, in for all of my youth. Then, when I was in England uh, in, for my junior year, I figured it wouldn't hurt my parents' feelings, and I violated every ritual law in Judaism because I didn't want to observe out of habit, but out of conviction. And then I came back to many of them. So that for much of that year, I didn't keep kosher at all. And I remember this is what I, I want to tell you, what this has to do with your question. So I, I remember the first time I ate ham. And it, it, was, it was a somewhat emotionally jolting experience. Now, fast forward. I also remember the first time I voted Republican. And I want you to know that that was tougher emotionally than the first time I ate ham. I thought I was betraying everything good that I had ever learned. I had gone over to the dark side 
by voting Republican. That is how deep the belief in liberals, forget leftists, is that as bad as the left is, I can't vote Republican. The, the toxicity of the message that the danger is on the right has been so effective that Bill Maher could never vote Republican. I Look, you may be right, and you're probably more of a realist, and maybe I'm still a little bit of a dreamer, but I'm going to work hard on getting the guy to move. Oh, I don't know. We have to work. Yeah. He who saves one life is considered to have saved the whole world. By the way, my friend, I don't know if you've ever seen any of these videos on PragerU, but there was a guy, very handsome guy, by the way, who did a video that was all about people leaving the political closet. You might find that one interesting. Very handsome guy, beard. I don't board, remember him as that handsome. Open, it's jacket. interesting. I, 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 it's funny. I, I, we have some handsome presenters. Anyway, you could go. We'll, we'll send you the whole catalog. You'll dig it. Um, all right, I want to talk about COVID a little bit because I went with you in October of 2020, a month before the election, I said to you, Dennis, you got to come with me to one of these Trump rallies in Beverly Hills. I had gone the week before by accident. I had driven past one after breakfast and I said, I'm just going to walk in there and see what happens. It was the most joyous, spectacular thing I had ever seen at a political, in a, from a political perspective, at least. And I, and I called you the next day. I said, Dennis, you got to come to this thing. We go to this thing. This is that, you know, still at the peak of COVID or whatever you want to call it. There's thousands of people smiling, happy, dancing, singing, joyous. And as we're walking to uh, Santa Monica Boulevard, we had to park a couple blocks away. You said to me, and neither one of us were vaxxed. You said to me, you know what? It would probably be good if I got COVID here. That's what you said. Uh, you then did get COVID about a year later and were attacked in the most vile ways on Twitter and everywhere else for getting COVID while not vaxxed. I think you see where I'm going with this. Can you just lay out what your story was on all of this? And I also want to give you credit. Actually, I'm doing too much talking as the interviewer, but I'll give you, I want to give you credit on saying, uh, you said back in April of 2020, which is now almost two years ago, your exact quote related to lockdowns, quote, the worldwide lockdowns are the greatest mistake in human history. That's what you said basically two years ago about all this nonsense. Then we walk into a rally and you were prepared to get COVID. You didn't get it there. You ended up getting it about a year later. Longest question I've ever set up. Take it away. No, I, I no, don't in any way be apologetic. I, I love listening to you anyway, but Okay, there are two separate issues. They're related. Uh, one is what I, I'm very proud of the fact, because it took, I have to admit, but you, you, you're courageous yourself, so you know this. And that's the greatest compliment I could offer. You're also handsome. I was kidding about ah. the video. You're looking uh, pretty good, I don't too. Know, you, I don't you know, lost I don't a little weight, didn't you? You lost a little weight. You look good. I look good. I don't know if I lost weight. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Uh, by the way, I hate being told I look good because I heard many years ago this great line. There are three ages in life, youth, middle-aged, and you're looking great. <laughs> so every time somebody says I'm looking good or looking great, I go, oh, crap. <laughs> it's better than the alternative, my friend. Yes, right. Well, you don't look so good there. I, I acknowledge that. Yeah. And, and Anyway, so yes, so uh, it took some courage to say... 
uh, in the second month of the lockdown. It was the greatest mistake in history. I made clear I was saying the greatest evil. <laughs> there, there are so many evils that uh, that dwarf this. But in terms of mistake, there's nothing comparable. It turned out, by the way, to produce some evil, but still, it's the, still the greatest mistake. I was right. While we, what has been done to children around the world uh, is a form of child abuse, the likes of which we have not seen except on individual levels. Mm -hmm. We have not seen communal child abuse uh, like we have now, masking five-year-olds and two-year-olds on airplanes, uh, masking the kids outdoors at recess, not allowing them to go to school in many cases for nearly two years, and when they go to be masked, this has all been uh, a form of child abuse. What we have done to small businesses and made the, the wealthiest scum unbelievably rich, like the tech giants, all we've done is transferred wealth. The lockdowns have transferred wealth from the middle class to the ridiculously upper class. That's all it has done economically. Needless to say, what we have done with, in terms of inflation, everything about the lockdown has been disgusting, and they didn't work. That's the irony. They didn't work. And any American who cares at all about truth knows that the states that locked down did no better mm -hmm. than the states that did not lock down. Mm -hmm. We had a real experiment here. Not one child, not one in child, child in Sweden uh, died and they kept their schools open all of the uh, pandemic. They didn't close them for a day. Kids didn't wear masks. Why didn't people use that as a lesson? I don't know, because people don't follow science. They follow fear. So I was right, and I, and I say periodically on my show, I've been right on virtually every important issue for 40 years. This is not a brag. It's either true or not true. Yes, it is true. And why is it true? Because I'm only committed to what is true. I don't have any other agenda. What is true? That's why I, I can't be a leftist, because truth is not a left-wing value. It's a liberal value. It's a conservative value. It's not a left-wing value. That's why the left suppresses dissent. Truth is pravda. It is what the Communist Party says is true. True pravda means truth. As regards my own, as regarding, as regards my own uh, COVID, yes, I believed that from the beginning, or nearly the beginning, I studied this a lot, it is better to have natural immunity than anything else, and I did not believe I would die from COVID. I didn't believe I would die from COVID because I was taking hydroxychloroquine and zinc, vitamin D, and ivermectin for the, for the entire year or year and a half. And I believed that it would it would ensure that I would have a mild case. And I got uh, Delta, the tougher one, and nothing happened. I, I, was, uh, I got chills for about three days. I lost taste for half a day. That was the worst part. Cheese tasted like plastic. And uh, then I broadcast three days later. So uh, I, I was right. Uh, by the way, just one horrible thought. Uh, Harvey Risch of Yale, uh, of Yale School of Public Health, epidemiologist, said on my show about half a year ago that um, American doctors, American medical institutions have probably killed hundreds of thousands of Americans by denying them therapeutics. I believe that to be true. Uh, what my view of American medical institutions and many doctors uh, has gone 180 degrees. 
Doctors saved my life. I will always be thankful to them. Uh, they, uh, my surgeries were a hundred percent successful on my back and on my, on my neck, and and I've been I've been great. Uh, so I'm very grateful to them. Uh, but I uh, at the same time they are responsible. I think Harvey Rich is right for hundreds of thousands of deaths because of their unscientific, irrational opposition to uh, to therapeutics such as ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. So I don't know that you've said this publicly, but a few days after you had COVID, Sue called me and she said, you're not gonna believe this, Sue's your wife. She said, uh, you're not gonna believe this. But Dennis woke up in the midst of COVID, in the middle of the night, in the sweats, and he turned to me in bed and said the Davids, meaning me and David, are moving from California. It was before we had announced we were moving to California you had some sort of premonition in the midst of COVID. What do you make of that? It's, well, what do you make of the fact that I'd wake up in the middle of the Thinking night with COVID me. and say that to my wife? I mean, I'm blown away. <laughs> you were in COVID mania and you had a premonition. Yes. Well, I, I guess so. It. It, it also shows you how much I knew I would miss you guys. I, I just want you to know. We're very close. I let your, your viewers are, are free to know that. They can judge us accordingly. What do we do? Uh, this is what I went on a crazy rant on my show this morning, and I don't do the rant that often, right? I'm a pretty measured guy. But what do we do to the people that got us here and the people that are still dragging us into these seemingly endless, uh, this endless pit of hell? The Kathy Hochul in New York, the Eric Garcetti who holds his breath when he takes pictures, uh, Gavin Newsom, you, you know all the people, the people who are still doing it, uh, despite no scientific evidence. Do we need to have some kind of Nuremberg trials? What, I mean, should they be just banned from public office? Like, what would a healthy society do? And I guess I mean this not only at a political level, but for you also at a either philosophical or a spiritual level, it doesn't seem to me that if we're ever gonna really heal from this thing, we can just move past it. Like we're, we're in the phase now where we're moving past it because the Democrats are realizing they're gonna get crushed in the midterms. But we need to remember what these people did. What, sh what would a healthy society do uh, in this greatest mistake of all time as you right. described by, it? By the way, you, uh, you hit the nail on the head with your line, your penultimate line of we need to remember. So I was saying on my radio show today, because there's a big recall for G George Gascon, yeah. the, ev the evil, evil moron, who is the uh, evil fool, not moron, uh, who is the district attorney. And the recall campaign against him last year In failed. LA, in LA. In LA, he's the district attorney. He's just like the one in, uh, in Philadelphia, San Francisco. These are the George Soros-funded people whose uh, sole agenda is to increase murder uh, in the cities in which they work. That is their, that is their agenda. I, I truly believe that, by the way. Now, if you said to them, do you want to increase murder? They would say, no, we want to decrease the imprisoned. But they're the same thing, okay? They're, they're, it's, it, it, it's, it's like uh, you can't have hot snow. You can't have less imprisonment and less murder. It, it's just, I'm sorry, but uh, uh, adults, uh, actually you don't have to be an adult, a five-year-old would understand that. Be before they go to college, they understand a lot more about life. 
So I said, it's interesting. They probably will recall Gascon now because of the murder rate in Los Angeles. And this is what people do. They elect the left. This is the history of Latin America, for example. They elect the left. The left destroys their freedoms, their country, and their economy. And then they put the right in power, which fixes things up to a certain degree or, or more than a certain degree. And then they think, ah, we need more equity. And then they reelect the left, and it's all a cycle. People will not remember what the left did to destroy this country uh, two years after uh, the, 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 the right fixes it up. Look at how Trump fixed this country. I just had Jason Riley on. He's the, the brilliant black writer yep. for the Wall Street Journal. Yep. And he writes he wrote this book, The Black Boom. And the guy can't stand Trump, but he also loves truth more than he can't stand Trump. So he writes a book about how good the economy was for blacks, unprecedentedly good. But do people care? No, they don't care. The people who claim to care about blacks voted for Biden, who's ruining things for blacks and for whites and Hispanics and everybody else. The, the, the man is a bad man and a disaster, the worst human being to ever be elected president, in my opinion, as a human being. I think Trump is saintly compared to, uh, to Biden. So uh, this is what, they, they, there is no memory. That is, that's the long answer to your short question. There is no memory. People don't remember what the left did. They don't remember, listen, the, Stalin is popular in Russia. The man who murdered 20 to 40 million Russians or, and Ukrainians, Soviet citizens, is popular in Russia. Mao is popular in China. He killed 60 million Chinese. Now, for every one of those whom he killed, think of the, the ripple effect of the people whose lives were ruined because of that death. And he's popular. His picture is ubiquitous in China. People don't remember left-wing evil. They only remember right-wing evil. So, so if we accept that, and I do, I accept that people don't remember it, and I accept that these things are cyclical and the left ruins things and then the right fixes it, you know, I come from New York, they're in New York City, David Dinkins, right. demolished progressive lefty, demolished New York City, who had to fix it, scary Rudy Giuliani. Uh, scary in air quotes, obviously. Um, but okay, but putting aside the, that, that we accept that, what could, in your perfect world, what would we do to, to break that cycle? I mean, what, what would a healthy society, not what we're in right now, what would a healthy society do so that we would not forget, so we could break that cycle? There are many answers to that question, Dave. First, first uh, the first thing that came to my mind, it may not be the first thing to do, but the first thing that came to my mind is take your kids out of school, homeschool your children. Uh, that That is the greatest single good I can think of to demolish the evil that the left has become. And uh, the, the, because the roots of it are all in education. Mm -hmm. uh, it, I, for all of my career, I have had this line, Dave. <laughs> I'll take a call and somebody will say something I consider particularly stupid. And I will then say, in my deadpan manner, sir, I, I'm just curious, what college did you go to? And, you know, I've really set him up because he'll then say, what makes you say I went to college? Which prepares me for my prepared line. 
And that is because only someone who went to college <laughs> would say something that stupid. And the, the only exception to that is graduate school. You become even more stupid. Do you know that uh, the New York Times even published uh, that uh, with graduate school, then I'll come back to what we can do. Yeah. In graduate school, as you get more educated, you are more fearful of COVID. In other words, everything yeah. what, what, about what more schooling. Yeah. I'm sorry? Yeah, how much more info do you need? It, 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 the proof is in the pudding. They make people the afraid of The proof is everything. in the pudding. That's yeah. right. Every awful thing increases as you get more educated. Now, not real educated. I'm crazy about education. But if you love education, you must hate most of American schools. So the first thing I think about what to do, take your kids out of the schools. That defunds the schools, not defund the police, defund the schools, take the money and give it to parents to do what they want with it to educate their children. So that that was one. Uh, so you, but you're really asking if I have it correctly, is, is what do we do about the bad guys? Yeah, the people Frankly, who've done yes. this and All continue right. to do it. Cor- correct. Uh, I am I am only interested in defeating them, not punishing them. Not, not that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I've actually done a show because I've, I've done this. I've done an hour on every. I did a, an hour on women's shoes. I, yeah. I care about everything. <laughs> I mean, I really don't care about women's shoes, but I was curious why women do. So you love anyway, those Jimmy uh, shoes, so I know it. I, I'm sorry. You love those Jimmy shoes. That was the only women's shoe I could think of. Someone give me a. Women's oh, okay. Shoe. I don't even know it. that one. Okay, okay. So the, you're one ahead of me. So uh, I, I did an hour. Uh, on what what do you emotionally get more satisfaction from, rewarding good people or punishing bad people? <laughs> That's how my brain works. And uh, anyway, I'm with you. I get more pleasure out of punishing bad people than rewarding good people. Well, I'm Having not sure that's my that, position. I just think these people have to be punished to some degree. I, okay, I like fine. to help good I, people. I, I am, you do too. You're course. right. But that, that, that's sort of, uh, it, it's, it's almost utopian. All we have to do is defeat them. Yeah. Okay? Whether they lead a miserable life afterwards or not uh, is of interest to me, but not nearly as much as defeating them. That, that's what matters to me the most. Uh, some, I mean, George Soros, I think God will punish him. So uh, I actually, I get some, I get immense, not some, immense peace from my belief that a good God governs the universe because there is so much evil in this world that, uh, that, and it bothers me that there is so much, that belief that God ultimately makes things right in the next, in, in the next world, in the afterlife gives me tremendous solace. I think Soros will will be punished. The man is is diabolical. Uh, and I mean it, literally diabolical. Yeah, yeah. I don't even believe in the devil, and I think he's diabolical. <laughs> That's uh, what we'd call a condemnation. Uh, I want to back up to something you mentioned a few moments yes, ago. Yes, it you, is. You said uh, the New York Times. So let's talk about the New York Times and mainstream media for a minute. Because I'm, I'm 45 years old, you've got a couple of years on me, and for, from where I'm sitting, it seems that in the last 10 years, mainstream media, corporate press, whatever you want to call it, that it's, it's just become nothing other than lies, 
and nonsense and obfuscation of truth and, and almost complete 180 of reality on almost every important issue, period. And you know they defend Democrats and Republicans are always racist, okay, fine. A lot of people say to me, well, Dave, it's, it's always been like this. Now my, my new conservative audience will say, Dave, this is what we were screaming about in 1980. Um, do you think it's always been like this? Is there some new version of it? Because now we can expose it thanks to internet video clips and that we can see when they chop the word not off the beginning of a sentence or something like that. Or, or is, just this, is this the same old game that they've been playing maybe since the 50s? I mean, maybe since TV news really started. 60s. My, my belief is that they were always biased, but that the level of lying, the level of editorializing in newspaper in news pieces, the crackpots that they published on the opinion page. I mean, James Reston was their 60s, 70s, maybe 80s giant. He was a pure liberal. I didn't particularly care for his columns, but they would be considered today centrist. Uh, when, when, when I read Charles M. Blow, uh, uh, who uh, all he does, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I wonder if he spends more than an hour on any column. I wonder if he spends a half hour on many. There, uh, during the Trump era, it was all about uh, how horrible Trump was. It's fascinating. Do you know that I made, I just cursorily, I went through Charles M. Blow columns and I took out adjectives that he used to describe Donald Trump. Uh -oh. And I came out with thir about 30. And that was just looking, you know, cursorily through a number of them. The level of uh, of evil and and moronhood, mor moronity, uh, which is probably owned by uh, by uh, uh, Paul Krugman, uh, who is no, he's just a vicious idiot. Uh, <laughs> he's it gives a bad name to the Nobel Prize in economics that that he won one. But I'm not a Nobel Prize fan outside of the sciences anyway. But uh, anyway, long story short, it was always like this. the The reporting from Vietnam was biased, as an example. Uh, of course, they 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 completely downplayed the Holocaust uh, during the Holocaust. That, that's one of it. There were there well-known things. They completely uh, they denied. They didn't even downplay. They denied that there was a famine in Ukraine induced by uh, Stalin to uh, murder uh, genocidally six about six million Ukrainians starved to death in a couple of years. 1932 to 1934 or 31 to 33, whatever it was, and uh, they they, uh, they denied it. They they literally denied. Their reporter James Durante put up in a beautiful apartment by Stalin, and supplied with the luxuries of life. Uh, the guy denied it, uh, denied what was happening uh, in Ukraine. So it's not new, but it's far, far worse. Do you know they fired their editor, their longtime opinion page editor, because he invited a Republican senator to write a piece? Yes, I do know. And here we are. They, they don't have an ombudsman anymore, right? 
I mean, they have nobody the, regulating. Oh, them. that's interesting. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, I, I don't think they, they do. There's nobody regulating the paper anymore. That's right. Yeah. So, so what you do know you think, who's regulating what, yeah. the paper? 25-year-old, 30-year-old woke women. So what do we do? Do we have to, this will sort of get us to the big tech part that I want to discuss with you as well. Uh, but do we just have to build all new everything? And I'm talking everything yes. from our janitors everything. to our tech solutions, right. to our construction workers, to our banks. Well, I don't know about janitors and construction workers because I think most, uh, certainly the construction workers are probably uh, more sophisticated in their understanding of life than most Harvard professors. And I mean that literally. Yeah. I never engage in hyperbole. Uh, I, I think that Buckley's comment about, you know, rather be governed by the first thousand names in the Boston phone book than a thousand Harvard professors is, is an entirely accurate one. But no, we have to change. We have to create our own institutions. That's what we have to exchange. Yes, uh, look, uh, in, in its way, I would I say with a completely straight face, I would be happy to be put on a lie detector to test my, my honesty on this matter. The vast majority of people, if they don't have their child studying STEM, science, technology, engineering, or math, would do infinitely better having their kid watch PragerU videos and write uh, their uh, uh, an essay on each one and read the the bibliography that accompanies the videos than go to Princeton. But Dennis, Dennis, I've seen the critics, and they say that they put a U at the end of his last name, and they're pretending to be a university. What are you doing? Yes, we're, we're teaching people facts and about life. We're giving the most important thing in life, wisdom. Facts are easy to transmit. Wisdom is a challenge. The, uh, you know, I'm, I'm having my Passover uh, service. The rash, I, I've been, I've been working, as you know, on the rational Bible. The third of five volumes is coming out for Christmas. And it's the best-selling Bible commentary in America, I'm proud to say. Costco ordered 35,000 copies of Deuteronomy. How's that, that for an achievement? Yeah, that's not. That, that's a big deal, I have to say. I'm very proud of that. Because I don't know who at Costco could spell Deuteronomy. Yeah. <laughs> it's not meant as an insult. It's just meant as a fact of life. The E and the U get confusing. Uh, yeah. The E and the U, well, you, the fact that you even knew that is, is, is shows you how much reading you've been doing. I'm all right. Yeah. <laughs> In the scriptures, as they say. Anyway, so I, I have, I, I departed for a year because of COVID, because they delayed the Bible commentary. I did a commentary on the oldest holiday in the world, Passover. It's literally the oldest holiday and the most important. It is the most important holiday in, in human history uh, for many, many reasons. And Christians will relate to it because the Last Supper was a Passover Seder. So I'm explaining it in the rational Passover Haggadah. The Haggadah is the, the Hebrew name for the service. And uh, th this is uh, my way of, of bringing these ideas uh, to, to more people. So uh, back to your institutions about substituting for institutions, uh, we need to create uh, a, a brand new, look, the religions failed. My, my, my column, my latest column, 
is on the failure of America's religions in COVID, how rabbis, priests, and ministers went like sheep. They, they just, yes, yes, government, whatever you say, government, oh, there's no reason for our people to show up for services. It's much more important to keep social distancing. I mean, uh, if you can't look to rabbis, priests, and ministers for courage and, and dissent from irrational governmental orders, uh, we're in trouble, and we are in trouble. I have to say, that's partly why going to the services that you've held these, I've, you've been doing it for years, but you know I've gone for the last five or six years or something, um, that's why it's been so important, because even, even last year, uh, which right. was still in the middle of COVID, and you guys let, That's if right. you wanted to wear a mask, you could. 400 people, you wanted to wear a mask, fine. 99% of the people didn't. Nobody got sick, and everybody got inspired, which is a very good thing for your health. You think You think a little inspiration is good for the health? You think? Yeah, you mean, I, te I tend to think that you shouldn't. You shouldn't just be fearful all the time and and live in a place <laughs> where there's zero risk or something like that. So, so listen to this. This is awesome. If you're not, if you don't walk around scared, you have left the left. Think. I mean it literally. I mean that literally. They're, look at. They believe the world is coming to an end. It's remember there. It's their word. Existential threat of global warming existential that means of the existence that these are scared people covid will kill them will kill their five-year-old how fast can i get my child vaccinated michelle goldberg new york times columnist she was counting the days till that she could inoculate her kids even though kids don't die of covid only only uh, overwhelmingly old people overwhelmingly. Do you think it would have been it's completely a, flipped if, if, if Trump had won, if Trump was the president for these last two years and had been saying the exact same things as Biden and Fauci was saying the exact same things and, and all the mandates and all that, do you think it would just be completely flipped and all of the lefties now <laughs> who, who are completely for mandates, but they'd be saying, well, it was Hitler pushing the mandate. They'd, they'd all be anti-vax, right? I mean, is it that simple really in some, in some no, ways? No, that is the one that in that case, uh, we had an experiment of that for one year. Look, he's the one, you know, warp speed for getting the vaccine. But he didn't do mandates. That's the difference. He didn't do no. mandates. Oh, yes, that is correct. Oh, so you mean had he done mandates? Had he done mandates, yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you why. The, uh, the, the question is, for a leftist, what is a more powerful force, hatred of Trump or fear of COVID? And I believe I have come, this is perfect setup for me to make this point. <laughs> uh, I thought until the last two years that the most powerful drives in the human being were love and hate. And I now have, uh, have reconsidered, I believe it is fear. I think fear is more powerful than love and more powerful than hate. So I think fear of COVID would have trumped hatred of Trump. All right, so let's talk about fear for a second because one time I asked you, I think we discussed this publicly once before, but it's worth mentioning again because you just brought up fear. Right when I started getting a little more popular or when the Why I Left the Left video came out and I was suddenly getting hate for the first time, just endless amounts of hate online from the supposedly tolerant people, um, I, I, I got a few death threats and people were saying all sorts of mean things to me and I was worried about 
you know, when I walked out of my house, like I just was. And uh, I said to you one day, I said, Dennis, uh, what do you do about security? And you, this is exactly what you said to me. You said, Dave, you know, I've done my radio show from the same studio for the last 25 years or something. And I suppose one day I could be walking out and someone will be there with the machete, but when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. And, and then you laughed and I laughed and I know you meant it and I know you would prefer not to be decapitated, but I think that illustrates exactly what you're saying about fear. You, you don't have fear related to this, but I don't think it's because you're uh, magical. I think it's because of everything else you're laying out here related maybe to belief or your feeling about humanity, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's really interesting because the, the left's perfect president was Franklin Roosevelt. And it was he who said in the 1930s, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, is a great line. Note that it's never cited, never ever cited by even liberals. They find that to be a Republican line. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So, uh, uh, by the way, it is a, it shows you how America has changed. That a Democrat, the most liberal Democrat to hold office prior to Barack Obama, would say that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And that now is regarded as right-wing propaganda that line, if you went on a college campus and said, who said this? Mm -hmm. And say, was it a Republican or a Democrat? Every single person would say it was a Republican. That's, that gives you an idea of the deterioration of, of the moral backbone of the American people. Fear is now kosher. Fear teachers, the most frightened group in, in America, among the very frightened, they hold uh, number one, they're going to die from a student who was unmasked. These people are out of their minds in fear. I feel for them. I don't know if they sleep at night. I don't walk around with any fear. The only thing I fear, uh, ironically, is the left. <laughs> That's the only thing I fear. They will ruin my life. They will ruin the greatest experiment in liberty. They are trying to do that. And they, and they are, thus far, they are on the road to success. However... Not enough because there's you and there's me and there are plenty of us around. Thank God. This alternate media where there's so much more truth and wisdom than in mainstream media is their nemesis. And they would love to shut us down. And that's why we have to seek other channels like, like uh, Substack. What, uh, not, uh, what is their, what's the name? Substack, um, Rumble, Locals. There's plenty yeah, of sub, them. Yeah, Substack. I was right. Yeah, yeah Rumble. Exactly. So... Uh, this is, this, and talk radio, I mean, you know, people always mention, and they're right to mention all these other wonderful things, Daily Wire, PragerU, uh, uh, um, TPUSA, there are a lot of great things, plus podcasts like yours and others, and Jordan Peterson, you you know, your, your, your dear friend, and, and man, I deeply, deeply love, uh, but talk radio that's gigantic. You know, when I have a, all of my career, when I've had European conservatives on my show, I have ended the interview by saying this. You know what the big difference is between Europe and America? 
and why we are have such a more advanced conservatism here? Talk radio. You have no talk radio. It's all government radio. And every one of them said that is correct. It's all government. Canada is all government. Canada doesn't have talk radio, our neighbor to the north. And look at how C Canadians, as I said in one of my broadcasts, they should remove the maple leaf and put a sheep. Well, they're fighting right now. We'll see which way it goes. Some are, and I'll tell you, the Canadian truckers may go down in history. W wouldn't that be something if a bunch of Canadian truckers were the people that ignited Un the fire that it saved would be the world? beautiful. Dennis, beautiful. you know, you said uh, this is going to be the last thing, and then we're going to keep you for one more segment. We're going to do a special segment on locals only because I have the real question I've been wanting to get to. We're going to put on locals. This was all the first hour of fluff. But you said that you fear only the left. I feel I can come up with one other thing that you fear. You fear a bad cigar. I feel like you actually would be, or, mm. a, or a bad, uh, two things, bad cigar and bad audio connection as you were listening to a symphony. I think that would be fear, not just anger, but it would be actual fear because you love those things so much. Uh, that's more in the realm of hate. That <laughs> Good night, everybody! Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.